We've been in this series on prayer, and today we're talking about praying together. There's an incredible power in unity and togetherness. I want to show you how powerful unity can be by going first to Genesis chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, and they used tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they begin to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them, right? And so I think we probably know how that ends up, right? God confuses their languages so that they're not able to communicate well, and then the tower ends up not getting built. They don't end up accomplishing the thing that they set out to do, which at the start might sound like it's mean, right? But, I'll, but one thing this story does is it points to the power of agreement. God recognizes when he comes to see what they're building, he says, oh, Man, they plan to do that, and they're doing it because it's not just one, it's not just two, it's not a divided people, it's all of them together. And I recognize that there's power in all of them being unified in something. So anything that they plan to do, they can do if they're unified. Now, in a grander spiritual context, we recognize that anything that we plan to do, aside from God, is going to result in failure. It's going to result in death. It's going to result in hurt. It's going to result in misery. It's going to end. Everything that comes from God is eternal. Everything that originates in people fails, and it ends eventually. So recontextualize this. God comes down and says, oh, they have they've decided to make a name for themselves. They decided to be in agreement and get together so that they can kind of instead, they're creative, and I appreciate how creative they are. They came up with this idea to build with bricks. That's pretty cool. So they're incredibly creative, but they're not satisfied with being creative. They want to be creator. They want to take the place of God, and that's what it's saying in this story. I say, let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And God comes and sees what they're doing. He says, wow, there's tremendous power in their agreement. But this agreement is misplaced. So I've got to come and take them down a notch and get them reoriented, right? And that's what, that's what God does with us oftentimes, like in just even small ways, right? Like we get into agreement about things that are not his will. You ever gossiped with anybody before? I haven't, but you probably have. It's bad. Don't do it. It's, it's bad. I've done it. Um, but, but if we gossip, like we come into agreement with someone about something that's outside of God's will for that person and for us, it's detrimental. And so if you find yourself in that pattern, sometimes you'll find that God interrupts that pattern to take you back a peg so that you can reorient yourself and refocus on, oh, but what can I come into agreement with that's actually in his will? Because if, if, if this is true, if God is saying, even without me, if they agree on something, it'll happen. 
how much more powerful when we agree on something that he's all for, right? There's a power in that. So in verse six, the point is that in agreement, nothing we plan to do is gonna be impossible for us. When we get together, our capacity and our ability is magnified. So the problem with these guys is that their motivation isn't to serve God and lift him up. It's to serve themselves and exalt themselves. They wanna take God's place. John 15, five, Jesus says to us, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And qualify it. We can do all sorts of things that will die. We can do all sorts of things that will fail. We can do all sorts of things that won't eternally make a difference. But apart from him, we can do nothing that will last, right? What originates in people eventually dies, but what originates in God lives forever. And if that's the case, then it begs the question, why do we always choose to make our own way, right? Why do we get stubborn? Why do we think, oh, I, I can handle this. I can do that. I'll get in agreement with some people. We'll just figure that out. We'll just do it. We don't need to bother God with it. Why do we choose to exalt ourselves? And why do we choose to kind of challenge God for control? And it comes back to, again, Genesis. It comes back to the Garden of Eden. It comes back to just this common bond that we all have that we try to identify sometimes a lot of things that are maybe our enemy or our adversary. That person is my adversary. That situation is my adversary. That person is against me. The thing that we think the issue is the issue is very seldom the issue. The issue is usually something in ourselves, something in our heart, or if it's external, it's the one enemy that we all have. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to kill or to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So we're talking about the devil, talking about Satan, talking about the accuser, the one enemy that we all have. And I, was talk, I told you we were going to talk about praying together. We're getting there. We've got to go here first. The devil's primary goal is to bring division. Because just like with, you know, in a semblance of the, the story about the builders in Babel, once they couldn't agree, they couldn't build. Once they were divided, all their forward progress stopped. Now, in that case, it was a good thing because they were trying to pursue something that was out of God's plan. But when we're in God's plan, there is an adversary that comes to us to try to divide us, to try to, uh, to bring disconnectedness. This is true universally, and it's true throughout history, and it's true in our lives every day. I've, I think it was the second or third message that I, ever, uh, that I spoke here at Liberty Hill. I went to these three Ds. These have been so important for me. So the devil has three Ds. I put up two fingers. I don't know why I did that. The devil has three Ds. Uh, and these are just reminders to me. Uh, there's three things. Two again. There's three things. Here. There's three things that he wants to do in our lives. The first thing he wants us to do is he wants to distract us. He wants to distract us. We are so often like Labradors in the backyard, right? We'll, just, we'll chase anything. You got my full attention, then squirrel, and we just move on. Um, he wants to distract us 
to turn our focus away from God and entice us to be fixated on something else. Now, notice I said entice us. He can't make us do anything. Did you know you have all authority over the devil? As big and scary as he might seem at times, you have all authority. Jesus has given that to you. He defeated him, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth I have given to you. So you have authority. So you can only be enticed to do things that you do. You can't be made to do anything. So he tries to distract us. Once we're distracted, looking the wrong way, he tries to distance us from everyone else, from our community, from our body, from the believers. And, all, and it's as simple as continuing to entice us to follow that distraction. The further down the road you go, the further away you get, right? It's very simple. It's a simple plan, and we fall for it all the time. He tries to distract us. He tries to distance us. And then when we're really distanced, he tries to disconnect us, to disconnect us. I need you guys in my life. I need the relationships that I have here. I need for you to be able to speak into my life. I need for you to, to be available. I'm sounding kind of needy right now. I need for you guys to be available just for all of my needs, basically. Um, no, but we need each other, right? We need to be able to speak into each other's lives, to encourage, for iron to sharpen iron. We need that desperately. And we need to know that we're not alone. And so if we continue to follow that distancing, then eventually we've been fed enough lies and enough illusions and we've followed them for long enough that we feel disconnected. We feel cut off and inaccessible, not only to God, but to the people that he's called us to walk with, right? I don't want that to happen to me or to any of you. So if we see or we sense that any of this is going on in your own life, you're like, man, I'm really distracted lately. Oh, I've probably given the enemy a little bit of uh, room to work. So got to fix that. If you find yourself being distanced or if you see someone being distanced, it's up to us to go and reach out, to gather in, to keep the enemy from getting his way, right? Um, and it's because... The greatest potential that we have is found in agreement and in unity. Unity. Unity is a word that sometimes gets misunderstood. Some people feel like if you have to be in unity, that means you have to agree on everything. You don't have to agree on everything. That's right. That's right. Deborah especially does not have to agree on everything. She was the first one like, that's right. I'm not agreeing with all y'all. Um, <laughs> yeah, preach it. <laughs> That's going to be a fun car ride home for you guys. <laughs> so, unity. Agreement is a part of unity, but they're not the same thing. Unity is not agreement on everything. Unity is not perfect and total agreement on all issues. It's not the absence of differences. We're all different in this room. Every single one of us is different from every other one of us in this room. Unity isn't about all being the same. Unity isn't even something that we create. Unity is a product of the Holy Spirit. Unity is a product of the Holy Spirit as we surrender to God. As we surrender to him, the Holy Spirit unifies us. 
It's not something we can do. If we try and unify ourselves, just like in the, the builders in Babel, we try and unify ourselves, it's going to end. People try to unify themselves all the time over demographic things or over uh, political ideals or, you know, over all these things that are of, of earth. If we try and do that, eventually rubber's going to meet the road and you're going to be mad at somebody and it's going to divide. The only true unity is when we surrender to God and we allow the Holy Spirit to unify us. It's the only way that we can even embrace community in the middle of all the differences that we have. There's a German theologian, uh, Werner Kommel, who said, the response to the encounter with God in Jesus and to the promise of the kingdom of God can only be love for God that results in love for one's neighbor. That's it. In all that he's done for us, in this realization that we belong to a kingdom, the the, uh, the only response has to be love for God. And that love for God results in love for our neighbor where the Holy Spirit can be at work and unify us. Uh, there's a Greek, uh, Greek theologian, Constantine Constantianu, his name I just butchered. But he says this, thus to strive for Christian unity is not an option for Christian churches, but a necessary aspect of living in the same kingdom and having the same Lord. It's the very unity and fellowship among Christians that expresses and manifests the presence of the kingdom of God in the middle of the kingdoms of this world. And that's where we get to praying together. Pray together. Praying together is one of the most vulnerable things. Have you ever been asked to pray and then all of a sudden you got all these like butterflies and like, I don't even think I know words right now, you know? <laughs> Happens to me all the time. <laughs> I'm in a really bad profession. <laughs> Darren, would you pray? Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, just kidding. I will pray. Praying together is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do as humans. You're putting yourself out there because when, really, when you're really seeking God, when you're really praying, you've surrendered, there's no more walls. There's no more pride. There's no more like, oh, I can't let him see this. No, it's all open. And you are as vulnerable as you can be before God. And it's because of that that it's one of the most unifying things that we can do. Our differences, sometimes, sometimes our divisions exist because we think that somebody else is in a different place than we are. We think that someone else is in a different situation. And, and really, when we pray together and it's all out there, we understand, okay, spiritually speaking, we're all the same. Spiritually speaking, there is no difference. We are all sinners saved by grace through faith so that none of us can boast. That's, that's how we all are. We all have the same enemy. We all have this, well, Jesus talked about it better than I did. So John 17, 20 through 23, this is Jesus praying in Gethsemane. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's heavy stuff. That is, that's empowering stuff. Jesus has given us everything that he had, everything that we need to be everything that he's asked us to be. He's given us everything. Being in unity is not too hard for us. It's not a, too big a hurdle for us to, to, to cross over. He's given us. He says in verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Did you know that that's the scripture that our church name comes from? One chapel. One chapel. And it sums up the entire purpose of Jesus' earthly ministry. His purpose is, this, we actually talked about this in the way a couple of weeks ago. Um, everybody in this room, you may have different callings. You may be doing different things. It may look differently, but everybody's purpose in here is the same. Your purpose is to reveal the heart of the Father to people and draw people to him. That's, you're looking for a life purpose? That's your life purpose, scripturally speaking. That's who you are. That's who I am. And it may look different for some of you. Some of you do it in the business world. Some of you do it in ministry. Some of you do this in your families. Some of you do this, you know, just at, at the coffee shop. Some of, you, some of you do this when you go into the convenience store and you're just revealing how much God loves people just through conversation. But no matter where you are fulfilling this purpose, no matter what your calling is, that was Jesus' purpose. And so it's your purpose as well to reveal the heart of the Father and to draw people to him. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. And, uh, and, and so when Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus laid out his purpose here, that they would be one as, as we are one, his intention was for that people would be drawn to the Father by us. He, he handed us that baton. He handed us that baton and said, go, run with it. <sighs> but sometimes we, sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we follow that distraction to a distance, and sometimes we feel disconnected, which is, once again, why praying together is such an important thing. And that, that, uh, that disunity isn't really a modern problem either. Uh, in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, uh, Paul was addressing this exact same issue. So 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Then Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. One thing that I really love about this particular scripture, Paul says in verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. When you begin to think that oh, being in unity with people is so hard, remember, you can't keep something that wasn't already yours. Paul isn't saying, can you try to get to unity of the spirit? Can you try to get to unity in the bond of peace? He's not, he's not saying, can you go and achieve that somewhere down the road? He's saying, keep the unity. 
It is your default condition in the spirit. It's not something you need to aspire to. It's something you surrender to, right? Keep the unity. Unity is the default condition of our spirits when we are in Christ. We actually have to work to be out of unity. We have to work to be out of unity with the other believers. But as we rest in God, we find that he brings us into all these ones that define us as believers. All those ones in this scripture, one body, which means we belong to each other. One spirit, which means we each carry the power and the presence of God. One hope, we look together to the future and we encourage one another. He said, one Lord, we all serve Jesus. One faith, we train one another up as disciples of Jesus in this faith. One baptism, as we do in this season, especially we identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's one God. It's our heavenly father who's watching over us and working within us. Unity is coming together on these things giving ourselves over and surrender to Jesus and recognizing, oh, like, like the other believers here, like the other churches across town, like the other churches in those other neighborhoods, uh, in, in those other countries, like everyone who has ever said, Jesus, I want to follow you, I'm in unity with them. I'm in unity with them because there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one, that, one baptism, and one God. Psalm 133, verses 1 and 3. And it says, Oh, how wonderful, how pleasing it is when God's people all come together as one. It's like a gentle rain from Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. It is there that the Lord has promised his blessing of eternal life. And that's in the ERV, the easy to read version. But in the NIV, verse three says, for there the Lord commanded his blessing, life forevermore, right? There's a power, just like there was back with the builders in Babel. There is a power in unifying. There's a power in surrendering together to the Lord and saying, have your way, your will be done. And when we do that, how wonderful, how pleasing it is to God when all of his people come together as one. For there, the Lord commanded his blessing. If you want to see the blessing of God expressly commanded into your life and into your situation, gather together, unify with some believers, and pray. And God promised, there is where I release my blessing. Eternal life. I establish something eternal in the middle of that. 